I decided to try gardening for the first time. I was just like, you know, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to throw seeds in the ground. And I had learned a little bit through Instagram about composting and stuff. So I was just kind of failing forward. That's pretty much my whole story is like, just try it and fail. But we got a pretty good harvest, even though I don't don't know anything about what I'm doing. And so you got more than you would have if you hadn't tried. Totally. Exactly. So that really encouraged me. People just need to put a seed in the ground. They just need to buy three chickens. Just do something and see how it goes. Because the worst thing that can happen is that it fails and then you will have learned something and that's okay. (laughs) My name is Lisa, mother of eight and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Right, welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. I am joining you from my bedroom. This is probably going to be my location for a little while. I know I was recording in the cottage for a while, and as seasons in life change, we've now moved the toddler's nap out of this room, and I've since the last recording had the baby. And so this spot just makes the most sense. So this is probably where I'll be for a little bit. Today as I'm Coming off of my postpartum break, we're going to be chatting homesteading with Bay Sandoval. She is a mother of three little boys and she started her homestead in 2020. She has done it all by herself at home with the kids, which I find very inspiring. A lot of you are in the same situation. You want to start some stuff at home, but you have little kids and it's hard to fit it all in. And maybe you're worried about budget, worried about failing. So we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. We'll see how the little guy does here. And hopefully, yeah, I'm getting back into figuring out how to work and have the newborn. So bear with me, but let's join Bay and chat homesteading. Well, thank you so much, Bay, for joining me. You're, you're the lucky one. You get my first time back after having the baby. And so I'm trying to figure out like, what it's like again to nurse and like do the baby and the podcast. So lucky you, but (laughs) uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. (laughs) Little guy is two weeks old today. So not like fully getting back into the swing of things, but I'm like, I can at least sit and record a podcast episode here in my room. So yeah, thanks for joining us. We're going to talk about homesteading with little kids, getting started on a low budget repurposing, upcycling, all that kind of stuff. So start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your homestead and your family. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute honor. So we started right around the summer of 2020 because that year was nuts. And I I know a lot of people started (laughs) during that year because Uh of the shortages and everything. And I had been thinking about it a couple years before, like how cool it would be to butcher our own chickens and have our own garden and stuff like that. But I think other things just got in the way for me. Like I thought, well, it'll cost money to start and what if it doesn't work and all these things. So finally, 2020 scared me enough that I was like, I'm just going to do it and I don't care what it takes. People have been doing it for thousands of years. I can probably do it even with very little. I can just get started and just see where it goes. And if I don't put that much money into it, then I'm not going to lose that much was my thought process. So Mm -hmm. I just went for it. And uh, we had two little boys at the time. We have three now. And actually, you couldn't find chicks either anywhere around here. I had to like search high and low 
to find some. And I finally found some chickens and some ducks. And I even got some roosters off of like Facebook or something (laughs) that people were trying to get rid of. And I just butchered those just right out the gate to see if I could. (laughs) Because I figured the worst case scenario is you can't get it done, you know. Might as well just try. Uh-huh. So so that's what I did. And they to probably start. are giving them away, right? Like a lot of times people yes. are giving roosters away. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. And that was really, I'm kind of the type of person who I just want to get in there and get my hands dirty and just fail. <laughs> because then mm-hmm. you know that it's kind of like, even if it costs me something, it's, I think I learn better than if I'm spending a ton of money on a course or something like that. If I just fail, that's going to really teach me. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you didn't, part of your story isn't like we went out, we bought a farm, we bought a bunch of acreage. And I know that we talk about this a lot on the podcast because I get so many people who are like, I'd love to do what you do, but you know, we don't just, there's like a lot of reasons why a lot of times it's kids it's money, it's not having a farm. So you, in your content, address all three of those obstacles in a lot of ways. So what what does your farm situation look like? Yeah, so that's a great question. We already had two and a half acres that we were, we'd been living on for at least five years, I want to say, before we started even thinking about homesteading. And Where we are in New Mexico, land is pretty inexpensive compared to other states, and the property tax is low. So that's an advantage we have for sure. Um, And also the like the housing market was really really good. It was we got a great deal on our house and our land. And my parents already lived out in the country, so they were kind of keeping an eye out for us and stuff. So we already Mm -hmm. had the property. We just weren't using it for that purpose yet. Okay. Yeah. Well, in two and a half acres isn't a lot. I mean, I, it's plenty. And I think once you start getting into homesteading, you realize that a really small amount's actually plenty because we only have seven acres. And when we, when I look around, there's just a million different ways that we could keep doing more things. Like we've in no way tapped out what we could do here on this property. So that's another thing. I think people think you need a lot of acreage and you have been able to do some homesteading stuff on two and a half acres. So after you first started butchering chickens, where did it go from there? So I kind of panic, panic started a bunch of projects. (laughs) I got all kinds of stuff. I started with chickens and ducks and I got some quail and I got some rabbits. And I just felt like, you know, if I try all these things and I know everybody says, don't try too many things because you're going to get in over your head. And I don't really feel like that happened to me too much. I just think that I tried all these things because I figured if one of them fails, then I have a backup and then I have another backup and another backup. So I think the first year for me was like mastering the meat situation. And I wouldn't say that I totally mastered it. The rabbits didn't work out great because I didn't buy really high quality rabbits. And they say that if you don't buy high quality stock in rabbits, they may not breed, which I was having that problem. They were not breeding, which you would think rabbits always breed, right? Well, they didn't for me. And I kept thinking (laughs) something's wrong. I don't know what's going on. And then the quail worked out pretty well. But I just I, I came to a point in 2022, I think, where like the very beginning of the year where I just realized, you know, I need to keep it simple. Like, yeah, the world is going really crazy, but 
it's not the end yet. So maybe I can like <laughs> simplify everything. <laughs> it yeah. seems like we're kind of rocking along still, you know, we're not all starving. Yeah. So maybe I can kind of <laughs> calm down and group back mm-hmm. in and just, just do chickens because I was feeling a little overwhelmed because I'm the only one who does it really. And you know, mm-hmm. my husband is supportive and stuff, but he's just not really as into it. Okay. So it's just kind of, you know, I realized, especially with three little boys and homeschooling and everything else, I was going to need to make it more simple for me and having all the different cages and all the different animals. It was just a lot of work and a lot of time. Yeah. And it was annoying to have to deal with all that. So now we just do chickens and we have a couple of ducks as well. Okay. But uh, from there, I think after I pared down last year, I decided to try gardening for the first time. And we live in New Mexico again. So everyone here has a different opinion about how possible gardening is. And so I was just like, you know, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to throw seed, seeds in the ground. And I had learned a little bit through Instagram about composting and stuff. So I was just kind of failing forward. That's pretty much my whole story is like, yeah. just try it and fail. Right. And I ended up, we got a lot of rain that last year. So the garden really thrived. And if I had known just a little bit more, I bet we would have gotten an even better harvest than we did, but we got a pretty good harvest, even though I don't, don't know anything about what I'm doing. And so right, that you really got more than you would have if you hadn't tried. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah. So that really encouraged me that, you know, people just need to put a seed in the ground. They just need to buy three chickens, just do something. And you'd be, you'd be shocked at how, how much you can really do and how, you know, because also I'm finding that year after year, things change And you're going to have successful years and less successful years. Like this year is not very successful for us with the garden for a variety of reasons. So I think my whole message to people at this point, wherever they are in their journey, if they're beginners or they're advanced, just do something and see how it goes. Because the worst thing that can happen is that it fails and then you will have learned something and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you brought up another point about your husband not really being the one that's doing all of this. And I think, you know, obviously the big problem with today is we all compare and we have ideas about what other people's spouses do or how into something they are. And then we will make excuses for ourselves because our situation doesn't look like that. So in your situation, it was really just you had the interest in it. And rather than like making your, or, you know, not that you can really make your husband do anything, but like, you know, either he's getting on board or we're not doing this. You kind of just decided to do some of it on your own, even though he's supportive. He wasn't out there necessarily building chicken coops and whatnot. So how did you, how did you fit this? And I know that's the question I get all the time is like, okay, if your husband's not doing it, how are you fitting this in while you're staying home with three little boys? It's, it changes with every season. And I know you, Lisa, you know exactly what this like, this is like, because with each kid that comes (laughs) along, you have a different situation, different personalities, different, you're in a different season all the time. So in 2020, Uh with just the two older boys, they both slept pretty late, you know, until like eight or nine. So I could rely on getting up like at four or three and going out at the first light and just like working on the garden or doing whatever until my husband and my husband also worked from home and he still works from home now. So I was able to spend a lot of hours either late at night or early in the morning doing stuff outside. 
Um, mm-hmm. But now we have our third, and they're they're pretty early risers now. I don't know what it is about the third one, but he made them all early risers. So <laughs> yeah, now, I have one like that that wakes everybody up. <laughs> mm-hmm, yep. And so even if I go on a walk in the morning, I'm like, oh my gosh, I better hurry and get back because <laughs> they're probably all up and they're probably all getting into the fridge and oh. And right. so anyway, it's it has changed throughout the last three years for us, mm-hmm. and. Now I'm in this season where all of my boys are old enough that they can play outside in the garden or they can climb trees and stuff. And so I spend more time just out there in the middle of the day letting them play while I try to get a few things done. But I, truth be told, I don't spend as much time doing all the homesteading tasks right now uh, as I did a couple years ago for a variety of reasons. And yeah, I think it just changes all the time. And if it's stressful right now for one person, then for the, you know, the next person is going to have a different set of circumstances and you just fit it in wherever you can, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know. I always do find that question challenging to answer because I get asked that all the time. Like, well, how do you do this? How do you do this? And I'm like, well, right now, this is how we do this. I mean, even two weeks ago, you know, this this time, two weeks ago, well, I was in labor, but two weeks in a day, um, the way I got my work done was a lot different than even like right now I'm sitting in my room doing this podcast and I used to do it out in the cottage and it'll be in here for a while because we moved one kid to a different room and then now I have the baby and and it does it just changes so much they don't even know how to answer it and also your situation like with your house and how it's set up and your outside space really changes things too because for some people like where I used to live in my old house I couldn't let even like older kids out of my sight for even a second because we live by a busy road and by a busy park. But now, like you, I can have kids playing all around. I can see them. There's really like we're all fenced in. And so people are like, well, wait a minute. Where are the children? I'm like, they're literally just outside of this shot. And it's set up in such a way like even my kitchen window looks out over where kids play. And so that has changed things a ton. And then different ages changes. So yeah, it's really impossible to, you can share how you do things, but it's impossible to to have everybody's situation make sense in the way that, that yours does. And I imagine you were spending more time in the beginning because you were setting up all the infrastructure, like you were figuring out where everybody's going to live, like where mm-hmm. all the chickens are going to go and learning things. And now it probably runs a little bit like more smoothly without as much of your time. Yes, that's definitely true for sure. I want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about a brand new product that I just launched. And that is my course called Simple Sourdough. This course is designed to help you if you feel like sourdough has been confusing or you're trying to improve on your skills, whether that be with whole grains or einkorn or just get a better bowl. This course is for you. So we go into starting a sourdough. So we start right at the beginning. But we also go into improving your understanding of sourdough, expanding your repertoire with specialty loaves. And then I also have my complete recipe book. This is a really beautiful designed book that has all 130 recipes that you can download. So if you want to print this off before I get my sourdough cookbook done, which, you know, that'll be a little bit. 
This course includes all 130 of those recipes in a downloadable book. Now, the thing I'm most excited about for this course is the Facebook group. So with my other courses, we have these private Facebook groups that end up becoming more valuable in some ways than even the course itself because there are so many things that happen along the way whenever you are, you know, in the case of my other courses, building businesses, but then also sourdough. And you have a very specific question that you want a right now answer to. You don't want to look through the course and see where it's in there. And this group is a place where all of these other students are also having questions and they've experienced the same issues. And I'm really hoping that this becomes the same kind of active group that I've built before with my other courses where you can go and get your questions answered and just learn even more. So the course has everything you need to become a sourdough expert. And then on top of that, we also have this community of other sourdough bakers that you can join and be a part of. Now, right now, the course launched on Friday. We have a coupon code that goes through the 16th of September. The coupon code is launch sale. So that's all one word, launch sale. You can find my course at bit.ly forward slash farmhouse sourdough course, all one word, all lowercase, bit.ly slash farmhouse sourdough course. And through the 16th, use the code launch sale. This will all be also be linked down in the show notes or the description box. So if you've been wanting to start a sourdough and you feel like it's been challenging, make sure to head to that link, use the code launch sale, and I'd be happy to in this concise course, walk you through your very own sourdough journey. Okay, so what you said fear of failure, fear of wasting money. Was there anything else that held you back in the beginning before you actually started? I think this is pretty much coupled in with that. It's not really different, but it's part of, of the whole fear of failure thing. Just other people sharing their failures sometimes I think holds me back because it makes me think, oh, well, if that person failed, then I probably will too. Because I think we tend to think like, oh, these other people are so intelligent and I respect their work ethic and their intelligence. And I feel like they know so much. If they would fail, then of course I would. And I think sometimes it's just a matter of the year. It's a matter of, you know, there are so many factors that go into why something would or wouldn't work. And sometimes it's not even the person's fault. So I don't know. I think I think sometimes if we can, you know, we're all involved in Instagram and we're looking at YouTube and we're listening to podcasts. I think sometimes it's helpful to hear other people's failures, but then go, that doesn't mean it'll fail for me. You know, it's okay. Yeah. I can still try this, you know, so I think sometimes a little bit too much input keeps people from from doing it because they hear some or they get an Instagram comment that says, oh, that never worked for me. Like I just got an Instagram comment a couple weeks ago about wood chips because everyone is telling me since we live in the desert that back to Eden gardening is the way to go. And so I'm like, okay, I need to get some wood chips. And I got one comment that somebody said, oh, the wood chips are terrible because they suck all the nitrogen out and of your soil. Like, it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm sure that that's kind of true. But, you know, how many how many other dozens of people said back to Eden gardening is the way to go? But that one right. comment makes me doubt it. You know, you're questioning everything. That is definitely the yeah. double edged sword with the Internet. I, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you want to try something, you just need to delete Instagram off your phone for like a week and try it and stop getting yes. input. It was so much easier I mean, in some ways. Like in some ways, the information is really great. 
But I was, I'm writing a sourdough book and I had to write the whole intro. And I was writing in it that when I started my sourdough, there was no, like I literally learned how to do it maybe on a blog, but also from a book. There was no Instagram. There was no, I mean, there was YouTube, but not in the way that it is now. And so I didn't even know certain things were rules and it was just very simple. And I'm like, now I would be questioning everything. No wonder these people that are coming to me asking certain questions are so overwhelmed because there's so much information. And in some ways it's like, yes, you and I are content creators. So we're glad people consume content, but also you might just need to delete the app off your phone for a little bit and just yes, try it. I completely agree. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was reading your blog post about like being a content creator and thinking like you'd made it whenever you get these certain comments and being like, no, that's not actually true now. Uh, I find that it's uh, the challenging part of content creation is all of the feedback. So how do you, I mean, it's like completely off topic, but sort of not because a lot of times when people start their homesteads, they start sharing them. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate, like you said, you you want to get the comments and the, you want to get the comments from the community that support you but then you have to take those with the bad. And how do you navigate that? Oh, that is a great question. I, <laughs> that has been like a year long <laughs> I question. I had it figured out. I know, right? I don't know if any yeah. of us ever really figures it out. I, I've been struggling with that for about a year. This time last year, I was just like really okay. down in the dumps. Yeah, as you've grown. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And this time last year, I was just so down in the dumps about Instagram because it, you know, it was so exciting to start growing and then it was like, right. oh, man, this is not fun, actually. You know, it's not fun being a personality that people feel free <laughs> to just, like, give you feedback about your life when, you know, they wouldn't necessarily do that if they knew you as a friend or something. But people on the Internet just think that they can say whatever they want. And I think that was shocking to me. I didn't expect it to be so volatile, I guess. I didn't expect for people to, you know, you kind of, I think you kind of expect people to see your, your Instagram or your YouTube or listen to your podcast and kind of form as they consume your content, you expect them to form an opinion of you as a whole person, right? Like as they read things and watch things. And maybe you're for them or maybe you're not. Yes, but exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I think it I think the the most shocking thing for me was watching people pick just one thing about me and go, mm-hmm. oh, well, you are clearly not a real homesteader because you're only on two and a half acres or because you did this one thing in a way that I wouldn't do it. And I was just like, I was just shocked by that because, you know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt when I see what they're doing on their homesteads, just you know, they don't, they're, that's what's working for them. Maybe their climate is different. Maybe their personality is different. And they don't like the more detailed version. Who knows? So just being kind of like an open target is kind of, has been hard for me. But I think taking time away, that's what I did for most of the winter. I like, I didn't really make many reels. I kind of just like stepped away from all of it. And this spring I realized that I I do want to keep creating content because there are so many cool people I've met through Instagram, especially Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten so many lovely messages and encouraging even voice messages from people just telling me that I've inspired them. And I think it's really taught me that I need to choose which voices to listen to Mm -hmm. more than anything. And instead of, you know, taking that one mean comment out of thousands of positive ones, uh, just 
just recognizing that whoever's leaving the rude one is probably in a lot of pain themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, though, it's with the with the way that they can pick apart one thing. You wonder, like, whenever somebody, like, gives you a compliment, you're like, yeah, but I'm just, like, one little tiny thing away from you hating me. <laughs> just one, mm-hmm. one insignificant yes. little something, you know? Yeah, wait till I, tomorrow I when that. I post something that you hate. <laughs> I know. Yes, I know. That's that's the weird thing, too, about being a content creator is even, like, the super positive comments, you're like, but I'm still just a regular person, so... Don't expect yep. like too much out of me. <laughs> I don't know. Have you felt don't that way? Don't think that I'm perfect. I totally and I do. Know. Oh, yeah. totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's odd. I actually met my best friend through Instagram and she has since moved oh, here. Cool. I met her a year ago and we just started talking about gardening and stuff and I was having a really great year. So I felt really great about my garden and all that stuff. And she's really experienced at gardening. But anyway, long story short... I remember her at one point early on in our friendship saying like, wow, you know, I'm really surprised. Like, you're like a normal person. And I was just kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, of course I am. Yeah. But see, that's the thing yes. that's like almost scary being a content creator is like people thinking anything other than because it's like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you not know that? But it's, yeah. Yeah. And I think some people, it probably depends on people's temperament or their personality. I think some people look at content creators and automatically just have this like veil between them and the content creator thinking like, well, that's a, that person is like famous or they, they automatically put people on a pedestal who have a following, any, any number of followers, you know, even if it's mm-hmm. only a thousand followers right. so, to some people, that's like, whoa, huge, you know, a lot and, yeah. when they're just starting mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to me because I usually look at the person behind the platform. Like, and that's just, I guess that's just my personality. I always think like, oh, that's a real person. And wow, they have a huge following. That's great. You know, but I think some people are more hardwired to, to think of other people as, I don't know, more important than they are and stuff. And I think if anything, Mm -hmm. the good thing that we can do as content creators is we can come into this space and say, Hey, guess what? I make mistakes. <laughs> I'm a normal person too. I just happen to right. fall into this content creating gig and I just want to be there for you. So don't worry. I'm not like, I I don't know everything and I'm not going to make you feel stupid if you don't know what I know, because you probably in some areas, you know more than I do. You know, we're all kind of, right. you know, just leveling the playing field for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I learn a lot from commenters and emails like I'll show something oh, yeah. on and I'll do it wrong, you know, like you do, because mm-hmm. I've been sharing for, well, I've been sharing for seven or eight years, almost eight years on my blog and almost six on my uh, YouTube channel. And so obviously there's a lot I've learned over that time. And so I share things while I am learning them and people email me and be like, oh, you should try and like in the nicest way, you know, not in, the, in a mean way, like, oh, whenever you're. I, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm and this is what we did. And it's like, thank you. I actually learn a lot from people like that because yeah, I don't, I don't know everything. I'm like literally just learning a lot of things in front of people and naturally you don't do everything right when you first start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's exactly right. And I think too, like, you know, you're a busy mom. I'm a busy mom. Sometimes we're just recording ourselves doing stuff because that's the only way to get content out. And like, that's you're like going to make I'm a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause you don't have time to like actually plan it. It's just, nope, just turn on the camera. We'll get something out of this. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I try to curate it, but for the most part, I mean, that's what, what I show me making is what we're eating and what Mm -hmm. we show in the garden is what we're gardening. So definitely it's, that's the beautiful thing about it is it fits very nicely into what I already want to do. So, you know, I don't think I could do it any other way. Yeah. Which is great. Okay. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the monetary aspect of it because with homesteading that is it can be expensive. So how did you start in the beginning without spending a ton of money? Okay. So yeah, I have gotten this question so much because yeah, people make a lot of assumptions about, and I, th- and I think it also has to do with the culture of the place you're in. You know, New Mexico is a really poor state. You see just a lot of junk everywhere. When we bought this property, it had a ton of junk, just like down fences and just pieces of garbage everywhere, you know? And a lot of that stuff ended up coming in handy, like, you know, scrap fencing and random rolls of barbed wire and random boards, metal, piles of metal that we used to line our chicken coop. We just had a ton of that stuff. And I think in other states also, depending on where you're, where you are located, there are probably rules. We don't live in a place where there are rules about how your property looks at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be the first to admit we're pretty redneck. <laughs> like our well, but some things, is, yeah. Like when you're collecting stuff together, that is mm-hmm. the way that it's going to end up being. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to look repurposed. It's going to look, you know, repurposed is the nice way of saying it. It's really, it's kind of hick looking, but you know, <laughs> it cost us almost nothing. <laughs> Right, and right. And then yeah. we were, yeah, we were free to spend money on the things that really we needed to make it safe, like actual T posts and stuff like that, or like a roll of bailing wire to to attach it to the fence or something, or netting for over the top of the run, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But right. a lot of the stuff we used just to create the chicken coop to begin with were things that either my parents had or that we had, and we just pieced it all together. And then this past spring. We broke down and bought two actual, like, put-together-yourself kind of chicken coops that we got them from Tractor Supply because we were tired of the location that our original repurposed materials coop was in because there was too much uh, water running into the coop and it was very muddy and the chickens' feet were always in mud. And I tried to manage that by putting down wood chips and putting down branches and sticks and all kinds of stuff, and it just didn't work. So we finally said, okay, enough is enough. We need to just go, you know, we're in a better financial position because our kids are a little older. We have more money saved. And so we went and got two little chicken houses, which was really nice. It's actually really nice to have that flexibility. But a lot of people don't have that flexibility and they need to just work with what they have. And I think a lot of the time people are embarrassed to do that. And that makes me kind of sad. I think that, you know, we see too much curated content and too many like really perfect uh, farm, aesthetically appealing farm life images on Instagram. And those kind of, I think, make us embarrassed to share our piece together junky stuff. Mm-hmm. But you save a lot of money when you use, when you just use the junk. You really yeah. do. We have a little bit of both in our property. Like we bought a property that had a, an old barn and, you know, so it had some of the aesthetically pleasing things. But then also like behind our house is a fort my kids made that is all kinds of you know, redneck, like you said, like it's just boards like mm-hmm. all nailed together. And then the the spot where the pony is, that used to be really pretty, but then we put chickens and goats in there. And so it's just tore up and I don't know that it's ever like 
ever going to not be like that. So yeah, there is just going to be like, even if you have a really pretty farm, there's going to be parts that are just farm. Like there's just no way around it. It's that's gonna, for sure. Yeah. It's just going to yep. look like that. Cause you're in, you're going to end up saving some things. Yeah. You know, you're going to end up saving wire at some point. You're going to have a junk heap somewhere, even if it's hidden. Yeah. Yeah. We keep more junk than probably I would even keep because my husband, like he definitely is more like, like you're describing, he's like, we could use this. And it, in a way, like he has found ways to use it. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I have a let less tolerance for it, but also like it does make sense. So that's a question that some people were asking whenever we asked the, the audience questions is, how do you balance keeping items around for repurposing without letting it turn into hoarding or tons of clutter? And I can't say that we really have this figured out. If you saw one portion of our barn, you would know we don't. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I was reading over that question and thinking that's a good one because in the beginning of our homesteading journey, I was also exploring minimalism a lot. And I was realizing. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've kind of realized, like, I don't know if I can really call myself a minimalist anymore because I have too many things I want to do. And you need those supplies. And if you're home is a school as well as a farm as well as a kitchen as well as a workspace for my husband and it's all these things we just need the tools to be able to do the stuff and mm-hmm. i think as time has gone on as you know cuz we've only been homesteading about 3 years but as time has moved forward with homesteading i think i've realized that there are certain things that i've kept that we're never going to use you know and I think that if you're really honest with yourself and you're, you know, really going through your stuff and looking at it, you know, critically and realizing also there are some scraps of chicken wire that I've kept and pieced together and spent hours just piecing together this chicken wire when I could have gone and bought a roll and it would have, I would have saved all that time, you Mm -hmm. know, that's my thing. Like also, can you find it? Like when you need it, if you have too much stuff and you can't find it. It might as well not even Mm -hmm. exist. Absolutely. Yeah. And if it's all piled up because you have boards and then you have sticks and then you have pieces of wire and they're all piled up and you can't get them apart because they're all stuck together. It's like maybe that should all go to the junk, to the junk heap, to the actual dump. (laughs) And we should just get a roll of of chicken wire and we should just get some new fencing. And I think for, I think it's a process too, because in 2020, you know, there were so many shortages when I just really think back on that year, you couldn't really get chicken wire. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really get, you couldn't reliably yeah. source a You'd lot of You'd be proud stuff. to have that sit in your yeah. barn. So depending mm-hmm. on the year and depending on what the, the world is looking like, maybe everybody should just reassess fairly regularly. And yeah, I think that's what we're doing at this point. Yeah. For us too, I think it, it matters how much storage you have. And I feel like we have too much storage because we have a really big barn. And so there's really no shortage mm-hmm. of stuff that we can keep. And so that's where it even becomes more difficult to edit it down because we could keep a lot more stuff than we even have. But my my question is always like, well, can we find it when we need it? And, you know, I think sometimes mm-hmm. we definitely can. And then also, what would it cost to replace this if we do find that we need it? Those are all going to be things that are different answers for different people, depending on your location and, you know, a lot of other factors. So, yeah. It all just mm-hmm. depends. I, so I had posted a video where I was sharing like my whole house and I was saying I'm sort of a minimalist, but also like there's a lot of things that you need. Like for our dairy cow, we need an excessive amount of glass jars. 
And somebody, I think they were calling it, my commenters all said something like, it's not minimalism, it's like essentialism or something. I might be making that up. There was a different mm -hmm. word they were using, like basically mm -hmm. just what you need to do the things you want to do. Like you were saying, I want to be a minimalist, but I have a lot of stuff that I like to do. And if you're actively doing those things, then you need them. Like if you're actively milking a cow, you need a mm -hmm. large quantity of jars. So yep. I guess essentialism, I think maybe it was something else. Yeah. I think people have said that to me too. There's this book by, um, I think his name is Greg McGowan or something. And it, his his book is is more about business and choosing the essential tasks and saying no to all the non-essential tasks and stuff. But I think I've heard people use that word too. But then my mind also goes to, yeah, but I also like to have some things. And are they essential? No, <laughs> but I like them. So there's quality of life yeah. to balance in there too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like home decor stuff, there's really no – like I still, there's so much more stuff I want to have. Like there's plenty of walls that need art on them that mm -hmm. if I saw the right piece, I would definitely get it. And I don't think that's super minimalist, but to me, it's the items that could get pulled out by kids, whether they're in the barn, whether they're in the house and they could, a mess could be made. Whereas like pictures on the wall, nobody's taken those down. And so I feel like I can have as much of yes. that as I want in my version of minimalism. Yes, totally. I want to take a quick break to tell you about my favorite makeup, and that is Tubes & Co. So Tubes & Co. is an organic, natural skincare line made by a small company, U.S., made in the U.S., based in the U.S., that the, the products are not just natural and organic, but they're also really great. I've found that to be a major hole in the marketplace over the last several years. I wanted to wear natural makeup, but I also wanted to have my face look like it was wearing makeup after more than about 15 minutes. I've even tried making my own makeup and a lot of that was just very insufficient. So I have my Tubes & Co makeup. My favorite product is definitely the foundation. I have referred this to so many people in my real life. Everybody loves it. Just the other day, my sister, my youngest sister, tried it for the first time and she was like, wow, I cannot believe the Tubes & Co makeup. It is officially my favorite makeup. So that's been the reaction from basically everybody I've referred it to. I love their mascara. I just started using the natural eye makeup palette. Absolutely love it. My favorite thing is, well, other than the foundation, is the eyebrow pencil. Love that thing. Also a huge fan of all of their skincare. So their cleansers, their serums, always makes my face feel so great, especially as we're getting into some of the colder months and the wood stove's going and everything's all dry. I will apply the serums all throughout the day and use the cleansing oil at night to really cleanse my skin and moisturize it at the same time. Tubes & Co. is offering Simple Farmhouse Life listeners 10% off your order with the code FARMHOUSE over at Tubes, that's T-O-U-P-S and co.com. Tubesandco.com, use the code FARMHOUSE. Okay, so what are some of your best repurposing hacks that people usually don't think of? Speaking of like keeping stuff and doing stuff with it. Oh man, that people don't usually think of. <laughs> yeah, that's an on the spot type. Um, of I don't question. know what other. <laughs> yeah, because I don't of know your what other people ones, think of. Whether they think of them or not, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> Let's see. This is this is a big topic because it's like my brain is wired for repurposing, and I'm always going to the thrift uh -huh. store, and I'm always finding things. And I think that 
one thing I don't see a lot of people do that I wish people did more is think of ways to turn things into something else. Like Mm -hmm. you can, you know, I make dolls on the side just for a little extra money and it's, yeah, I saw that on your, yeah. Party homestead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a fun creative outlet and everything. And I often am, I'll be eyeing my kids shirts for holes and stains, (laughs) stains that I don't want to get out or, you know, the shirt's too far gone anyway. And I think, oh, is that a good pattern for a doll dress? You know, and so I'll save back a lot of their ripped jeans or their jeans with the, you know, the metal snap doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to fix it because they're, the jeans are too far gone anyway. So I'm just going to save that denim and turn it into something else like a doll dress or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I also, when I go to thrift stores and I'm looking at pictures or figurines or things like that, I try to think of ways that I could make that thing new again. Like sometimes people donate stuff because there's a ceramic flower on it and the ceramic flower got slightly broken. And one thing I'm experimenting with right now is, you know, can I take sculpting putty and recreate that flower so that that thing is new again? Yeah. So just stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or if it's a weird color and you could just use a little bit of paint to make the piece, like if the piece has a good shape to it, using it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can use a, like a spray to seal the paint in, which I didn't know about until just a couple of years ago. So there are a lot of little tools that you can have to Mm -hmm. repurpose stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, home decor hacks that you don't have to spend Mm -hmm. a lot of money on that. One random question people ask, which maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't, is what are all the ways to use up empty feed bags? Do you use up, do you use empty feed bags or do you, do you have a a purpose? Oh yeah. I, I have a blog post draft (laughs) that I have not published of like all the different things. I was really interested in that because I'm, my feed bag stack is just growing by the day. Yeah. And and I, I saw so many good ideas. Like you can make them into tote bags. You can turn them into tarps, like just sew them together into a big, huge thing and use it as a tarp. I've seen people line like garden beds or uh, planters with feed bags. You can use them for composting. I've done that before. Oh, I actually have yeah. some bags that I, it's kind of a pain because you have to dump them out and then scoop the stuff back into the bag, but it works pretty well. You can grow potatoes in them. I had some really good luck last year growing tomatoes and peppers in feed bags. Yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of things. What would you do with feed bags? I don't know. I was, I, as you were saying that I was thinking like people do the, um, I guess it's the same back to Eden style or whatever, where they put Mm -hmm. cardboard over a certain spot to, you know, in the fall, I guess. I I guess you could do that with feed sacks too, right? Like that would be similar breaking down. Yeah. I I honestly don't know. I don't even know if Luke does anything with them or not because we, my husband helps quite a bit with the homestead and we get, we have a lot of feed sacks because we uh, feed the cow while we're milking her. And so, yeah, we have like paper bags galore. So I'm not even sure if he does anything with them. Knowing him, he probably does, but I honestly don't know. I I wonder about hay twine, baling twine, because mm-hmm. my boys get into it constantly and all of their bikes are tied up with baling twine <laughs> and baling twines everywhere. So if anybody thinks of a good purpose for that, then let me know because we've got a lot of that. 
Yeah. You could do all kinds of things with that. It might not be like Hobby Lobby status, but you could do a lot of things with failing twine. I bet. Yeah. You're talking about the orange like plastic string, right? It's, it's just like, like it's like or is it wire? Thick. No, it's not wire. How do I even describe it? I don't even know how to describe it. One thing I was thinking though, what we should have done is I had my daughter braid some onions because we grew a lot of onions this year. And I had her mm-hmm. take my jute twine and run it in between so that way it had something to like as the as the tops age more and get more brittle it would be like a connecting thread to hopefully hold them together but i'm like why did i not use baylor twine i used my good jute twine Uh and i'm out of it now that we're talking about this i thought of a purpose but we already yeah that's perfect that's a great idea yeah (laughs) yeah okay so With the homesteading on a budget, we got a few audience questions that I think are really good. One of them is, what is something most people would consider a necessity that you would not? And I I notice things all the time that I'm just so naturally frugal. Sometimes people will say something and I'm like, what? Who even would think to buy that? (laughs) So what Mm -hmm. are some things for you? Oh, man. There are so many things. I'm right there with you that I wouldn't even think to buy most of the things that I see other people buying because they're just not Mm -hmm. necessary. They might make your life a little easier, but I mean, do they, you know, then I wonder like, do they really? But then I, I usually think, well, maybe I just don't know enough to know how useful that is. Well, yeah. But one of the first things that came to my mind is like, I'm always seeing people kind of follow the, the, I don't know, especially the kitchen trends, I guess, with homesteading. Like people start cooking from scratch and then they feel like they need to get like and I'm I can cook just fine. I'm not a great cook. I don't love it. I just do it because I have kids and they need mm-hmm, healthy food. To, yeah. But <laughs> I'm yeah, but I'm constantly seeing, you know, oh, buy this really fancy artisan bread making kit. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean I'm sure that would might help some people maybe that maybe some people are on a certain level of baking where they just really know how much this artisan you know level cooking stuff is just you know it really makes a difference but bread is bread is bread as far as i'm concerned i mean i don't know i some of that kind of stuff gets really trendy on instagram or, and the clutter um, i always think of that like where am oh, i gonna yeah. put this like it doesn't mm-hmm. just have to be worth it monetarily it has to earn mm-hmm. its keep like in my kitchen, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there are a lot of things like that. And then there are things in the garden too. I don't know. Most recently I was thinking about this. Oh, I saw this thing on Instagram where everyone was taking pictures of this mat that they were laying on and it became really trendy because it like sticks into your back or something. But it was like, nobody really needs that. But, you know, but everybody jumped on the bandwagon and started showing that mat or like the hose wind, you wind up your hose with one of those things. Uh-huh. And so you're going to talk about it on your Instagram so people will buy it, but they're not necessary. Your fo- your hose will do just fine in a circle on the ground. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. yeah. There's probably so many things we could think of. One thing that made me I thought of whenever you were talking about this is for years, we've debated over whether or not to get a tractor because Luke's like, there are so many things I do around here that would be easier with a tractor. And the reason we go back and forth that we've never gotten a tractor is because 
easier, but like how many times a year for the amount of times that, or for all the time that we have to find a place to park the tractor and the maintenance on the tractor? Like, are there enough things around this homestead and enough time that would be saved to justify something that's going to take up that much space and require that much maintenance. It's not as easy as, oh, this job would be easier by the tractor. It's There's a lot to consider. And so still to this day, we haven't bought the tractor because we're like, but how many days are you really spending doing this thing that you think, and you know, you could also maybe rent something that would, that would make like one big day so much easier if you just rented it. So there's a lot of factors to consider when buying something, not just the cost. Yeah. I totally agree about the tractor thing. We don't even have anywhere that we could store a tractor and like big yeah. machinery like that. We don't even have a truck because we've, you know, we have two SUVs and that's what we use. And there are, there've been dozens of times right. in the last three years that we've gone, oh, if we had a truck, we could do that. If we had a truck, we could get that. And it would be so much easier. You know, it would be so much easier to haul these two coops home if we had a truck. It would be so much easier to haul this straw home. But we just have made do without it. And then we're always going, okay, the next step is we need to get a new roof on the house. And then we need to paint the house. And then, you know, somewhere way down the road, maybe way a truck. down the road, we will get a truck. And then mm -hmm. way down the road, maybe we'll build a big workshop to put a tractor and a truck in. And like our cars have the paint peeling off because we don't have them under any kind of covering because we don't have a garage. They're right. just out under a pine tree, you know, and that's just the stage of life we're in. And we're, we've accepted it. And you've, and, made um, do. you've because that's, yeah. some, I think some people would say, well, we don't have a truck, you know, like we, we don't even have a truck. How are we going to homestead? And and we've, we've had the same thing, like with a trailer, because we, mm -hmm. I would say probably like twice a year, there's a need for us to haul a cow around for whatever reason, whether we got to take her to the vet or we got to take a different cow out to my parents to be with the bulls, you know, and like twice a year, it'd be so nice. But the rest of the year. Where are we going to put a trailer? You know, like I know trailers aren't that expensive. We could literally find one on Facebook Marketplace. We could definitely afford it. But like, where is it going to sit all the time for the twice a year? I could just ask our neighbor or ask my dad or, you know, or somebody like there's a lady in our church that has a small trailer and she said we could borrow it. And it is inconvenient. Those two times a year, it'd be really nice to own a trailer. Yeah, totally. My my dad has a truck and trailer, and if we ever are just desperate, we definitely ask him. But you know, same, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my dad lives an hour away, so it's mm. not it's not great, you know. Yeah, but not the most yeah, convenient. We, we can too, which is mm -hmm. nice. It's not, but <laughs> it do, it does go to show that there you can still do it without having everything you need. I know a lot of people, like one of the things about homesteading is it forces you to make connections because if you don't have a dad with a truck and trailer, you're going to have to talk to some other people in the area and see if there's, you know, maybe there's something you could do for them so you can borrow their, their little trailer or whatever, or their truck. Have you, I mean, I know you have a small farm, but have you made any connections with people in your area because of the homestead? Yeah. Facebook has been really great for that. I've kind of gotten to know a few people who've ended up becoming Facebook friends through our poultry, our local poultry Facebook group. So people go on there and they'll ask questions about their chickens or they'll talk about how they want to rehome a chicken or whatever. And, you know, it's a private group. So people are able to kind of discuss that kind of stuff without being shut down. Mm -hmm. But I've also done some bartering on Facebook 
Like I had some basil plants and little like vegetable cans in 2020 because I was thinking the world was going to end. So I was going, okay, we need to learn to barter. We need to like <laughs> learn right. all these skills right now. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of those types of things, even though like the world didn't end and things feel very back to normal, at least in my state, and they have for quite a while, I found that a lot of what, pe- what people started learning in 2020 and started exploring and experimenting with, it's it's kept on. Like the weird thing is, is there was this boom of interest in sourdough in 2020 and you would think it'd be done, but it's not. Like people are still coming to my blog for sourdough, which to me, you know, I thought like as soon as people, as life goes back to normal, people are going to forget all about like caring about chickens and gardening and sourdough. And the truth is, I feel like it's just kept increasing. Have you found that to be the case like with with, you know, how you've interacted with people on your own platform? Oh, definitely. It's kind of funny because I think there are still quite a few people who really want to start and want to take that leap, but they are still dealing with just like self-doubt and thinking that, well, we don't have what this other person has, so we can't start, you know? And I saw mm-hmm. something on Instagram a couple weeks ago that was like, you know, I don't know if it was a comment or a meme or what, but it was something like, you know, for all the people who just up and started homesteading, like in 2020, there are going to be a ton of people who quit in 2025. And I was just like, that sounds like a really negative outlook. Like I would rather think, you know, wow, people realized what they can do. And I think that's what I'm seeing is people, it kind of put, I think 2020 kind of put homesteading on the map. Yeah. And it kind of made people realize, oh, wait, this isn't how it's always been. We haven't always gone to the grocery store. We haven't, like, eggs come from chickens and you can have your own chickens. And if you don't have your own chickens, you can buy chickens from somebody in your area. Like, it kind of brought awareness to local food and supporting other individuals instead of large corporations. And I think people are much more just aware of that after 2020. Yeah. And why 2025? I mean, why wouldn't they have quit as soon as the world went back to normal? I mean, it's been yes. back to normal for, I'd say, over at least over a year now. Like, why? I don't know. That's not what I've seen. I've just seen increasing interest in topics like this. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. I don't know that that's really the case because people find value in it more than the monetary or more than just, oh, now that we can get stuff at the grocery store, then, you know, let's drop it all because we don't need it anymore. I think people have found value in it that's gone well beyond just the actual necessity of we can't find food to eat. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think people... I think um, for me, something that really opened my eyes was Nourishing Traditions, you know, that cookbook and realizing that Mm -hmm, like all of those things that are in grocery store foods, not that I don't use grocery store foods, I'll be the first one to admit, like there are days that I just pull out the frozen waffles because that's what I need to do because my kids need to eat and I'm exhausted. But, you know, just I think realizing that seed oils are such a big issue and a lot of the autoimmune issues that people are having and the food allergies people are having come back to our food industry and that the food industry is just not doing us any favors. And if we can be more self-sufficient and more independent in the way we feed ourselves, we could 
start a movement that would really help the next generation and the generation after that and maybe change the world if enough people had awareness around those topics. Yeah, I think people are definitely catching the vision. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I I completely agree. All right, so tell everybody where they can best follow along with you. I know you have your Instagram. I believe you're on YouTube. Uh, Where's the best place to follow along? So I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, and then I do have a YouTube and a Facebook and my blog is the but the place I hang out the most is definitely Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So the Bay Sandoval on Instagram, we'll also leave a link down in the show notes or the description box, depending on if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on one of the, the podcast apps. So yeah, lots of what's, what's next? Like for your homestead, are you, do you have any big plans of expanding? Well, we've been talking about, I I feel, I kind of feel like this year I expanded too much with the garden. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like trying to pull myself back Mm -hmm. in, like reel it back in. Whoa. Last year's garden was big enough, you know, (laughs) but we've talked about goats. We've talked about stuff like that. And, but I think we're kind of in a season right now with our kids at their ages and, you know, trying to expand the garden and failing at it. I think right. I'm just kind of taking it one day at a time right now. <laughs> just, yeah, uh, that's cool. Just yes. tread and water. There is a lot of people that find a lot of encouragement in that and following along with you as you're learning. I mean, this is still all relatively new as you started it three years ago. And yeah, that's, that's an encouraging place to be. So Make sure to head over to the Bay Sandoval over on Instagram and follow along. So thanks so much, Bay, for coming on with me. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast, and I will see you in the next one.